everyone. I'm Harpreet Singh, welcoming you to the Future of Work Pioneers podcast. Today, we are launching a new series entitled The Future of Work in Healthcare. Our guest today to kick off this new series is Kathy Frazier, the CHRO of Mayo Clinic. Kathy is responsible for spearheading culture and employee programs that attract and inspire a 65,000 member workforce. Prior to joining Mayo Clinic, she led HR for 125,000 employees at Tenet Healthcare, a multinational healthcare services company. Kathy also sits on the boards of Laurie's Gifts, the American Association for Cancer Research Foundation, and Rochester Area Chamber of Commerce. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really glad to be here and share some of my kind of various kind of um, perspectives of the future of work and um, in healthcare. So thank you. So Kathy, you've led great organizations in the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. Could we start by learning a little bit about you and your journey? You bet. Well, I'd love to say that I had a many, many year history within healthcare um, starting from right out of college, but I can't say that. What I can say is I've had a very much what one might call a lattice career before it was actually in vogue. So I actually started out in auto finance, working in Detroit with um, out of, out of uh, undergraduate and then um, working at an organization called GMAC, so auto finance. Yes, I actually you know, participated repossessing cars and, and financing dealer lots, but that really gave me a finance underpinning. I then went to American Airlines where I was a finance person and then moved over to their Sabre group where I got involved with a lot of strategy and marketing. I then took a really unusual move and I jumped over to McKinsey and Company and went into management consulting and really found a love in retail and consumer. So I helped a lot of small box and big box retailers and consumer products organizations kind of think about their strategy and driving to consumerism. And then someone took a chance on me, which oftentimes in careers, that's what it takes. And someone took a chance on me and said, gosh, you know, we are looking for someone to run HR. Um, we are a, kind of in an organization that's a bit of a turnaround kind of circumstance. It was tenant healthcare. It happened to be in Dallas where I lived. And so I said, why not? Why wouldn't I go run HR for a healthcare company with no healthcare background and no traditional HR? And I spent nine years learning to love healthcare, learning to love the function of HR. Um, And it was one of these things that, again, later career move, but it worked beautifully for me. And about five years ago, I had the opportunity to kind of work at the Mayo Clinic. And if you're going to work in healthcare and you want to work in the people space, at least I would assert that Mayo Clinic is an amazing place where it's got people that are committed and passionate around what we do and really kind of bringing the best out of them is what I get to do every day. So it's a huge privilege. That said, I mean, one may say why the healthcare, and I'd say this is that all those experiences, even though some don't feel like they're healthcare, my answer when people will say, gosh, that's a lot of things you've done. I'd say, yes, it all contributes to healthcare because healthcare is more and more consumer. It's more and more finance. It's about strategies, about marketing, it's about people. So all those various experience I had actually comes together so nicely within healthcare. And it really is something where I think that um, most people that actually have this very broad view of life that have passion in their heart for health would find a home here in the healthcare sector. I, I agree. Healthcare is a complex animal. So I, I can see how all those things contribute to your success. You've talked about the ways in which the future of work will change uh, from the perspective of both employers and employees. What do you think will be the most important change? 
Well, I think you're seeing it right now, um, primarily around employees and employees as consumers. So again, this goes a little bit back to my retail background. But when I first came into HR, not knowing traditional HR, I said, well, this feels like employee sales and marketing, right? You've got actually kind of every day when their hearts and minds, and it's not just coming in and getting a paycheck, at least in healthcare, it really is doing that discretionary thing when people are most vulnerable. It's the very worst days of their lives, the very best days of their lives when they're having a baby, for example. And how do you actually kind of work with that level of heavy human kind of emotion and kind of circumstance? And you've got to attract the right people. And employees have increasingly interests of being who they are and not necessarily having to be kind of follow necessarily the rules of an organization. Uh, we're seeing more recently the future of being more remote work. People want a huge amount of flexibility. You know, by example, right now, I work up in Rochester, Minnesota. Today, I'm coming from my home office here in Dallas, Texas. And I get on a plane during non-COVID and I get up to the office, but I have a tremendous amount of flexibility to be able to do that kind of on my terms. I think that this access to um, or, or organizations that really create that flexibility is going to be more and more. I also think that there's a huge opportunity for employee, employees that they want is for organizations to commit to their careers. So before, if it was employees or consumers, and I can just take my resume, go down the street, you know, go do something different. Employees, you know, want that flexibility, but they would really love to be with an organization that's committed to their career. So employees, I think, are increasingly finding that there are organizations that kind of fit to their values alignment is a place they want to work. Employers then are saying, gee, can I actually reinvent this person into a different role, into a different career, et cetera? by actually understanding where they are, what they wanna do and be able to put the things around them to allow them flourish over a career. So, you know, employees want that. And I think employers are just getting to the point where saying, well, that makes sense. You know, that it, it's important to hire the right values aligned people. And once you're here, how do you do everything you can to continue to have people be productive members of that workforce? So, you know, that's how at least I see it from the employee side and the employer's reaction. From the employer side, though, if I took that at lens, I'd say employers are really looking for, I call it experts of many domains. The one thing we know is that things are going to be different in the future. And so agility and the ability to take people, not just because they happen to be an expert on one thing, but because they're an expert one thing and have built out an ability to learn and be able to learn another thing and learn another thing creates a lot more kind of competencies or skills or knowledge that they can be plugged and played into other things. So from the employee perspective, it's this great opportunity to go into an organization where there's a lot of different opportunities to plug in. And from an employer's perspective, saying, I now have a lot of skills with a lot more um, agility to go where the organization, the competition, the market is going. And so that's a, just a really, again, a synergy between what employers want and what I think employees want as well. So that's kind of where I see the, the, how work is gonna go in the future. What does future of work specifically mean for the healthcare industry from your perspective? Well, I think one thing about um, healthcare is if, you, and I've done this, if you go to, you know, elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools, and you say, gosh, you know, do you want to go to healthcare? You know, the kids raise their hand and said, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. So there is this kind of view that healthcare traditionally has been about clinical roles only. And I think that there is always gonna be an element that's clinical roles, that is actually the part of delivering healthcare, but increasingly it's about digital, it's about informatics, it's about human capital, it's about logistics, it's about you know, devices. 
And so I think we're going to end up with a world where healthcare is going to have to appeal to people to come into healthcare because they have a passion, a heart, you know, the reason for actually caring for others. And it's that altruistic heart that we have to capture and then say, hey, you want to come to healthcare? There are so many different professions that you can actually explore. And by the way, someone from HR can be finance, can go into clinical, et cetera, right? But really dispelling this belief that healthcare is only going to be clinical. And we need that because we do not have enough people that are in healthcare uh, looking for healthcare careers for the future. So first of all, stimulating that pipeline is going to be really important. And I actually think that it's one of these things where the government, the Department of Labor, Health and Human Services can really kind of lean in a little bit more to, to kind of understand where is the labor force in the world of healthcare. Not as much discussion, you know, typically about workforce in healthcare, but it is a really important area. I think the other element is about new skills. We have many, many people in healthcare today and healthcare delivered in the future is going to be different of how it's delivered today. So we are upskilling and reskilling our folks to have a better digital competency. It's being able to focus on the experience of a patient and their families, not necessarily the single point of care. And those are actually very different skills by which we are getting our, our people in healthcare to be more attuned to diversity, inclusion, all these other things are actually really important parts of an, an employee of a, a patient's experience and their family. So kind of teaching to those elements. We also are doing a lot in um, healthcare around future of careers. And so this isn't just upskilling and reskilling. It's also saying that if there is, you know, a job that you come into, say you are, um, you come into an organization as a front desk clerk, and are we actually helping people become a patient care tech? And then are we investing in their education? Are they investing their time into learning something to be maybe a licensed vocational nurse and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I see a world where this kind of area of a career and a career pipeline, which is an employer and employee kind of agreement becomes a huge part of what healthcare will need to do to attract, retain, and actually drive continued productivity and um, retention of its people, so. So you, you alluded to upskilling, reskilling, career pathing. What are some of the initiatives that are underway at Mayo to, to achieve something like that? And also, what is your take on um, the role of employer in building these skills and careers? Uh, I, obviously, you seem very passionate about uh, this topic, uh, but, but when it comes to the tactics, um, what, what exactly are you doing? So... I got us first off by just explaining Mayo Clinic. So Mayo Clinic actually is, um, it's technically, you know, it's tax exempt status because it's a nonprofit. It's because it's actually an education, um, an education organization. So we're healthcare, we provide services for sure, but we are um, also education. We have a school of medicine that's one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country. We have a, a, a graduate medical education. We have continuous um health professions, et cetera. So we've got a very kind of large school. And first of all, part of at least what Mayo Clinic is, is ensuring that our school, the five schools that are part of the Mayo Colleges continue to be a significant and core pipeline for us. And it's a really good strategy because we are a differentiated employer. So we've got folks coming into our colleges, learning the way that we practice, the way we think, align with our values so that when we hire them, it really is something that's a continuity or a continuation of their, of their experience versus simply being a new organization. So first of all, you know, affiliations with colleges that share your values, huge part of what we're doing. Once you're in the organization, we actually have, like many other academics, do things like grand rounds. 
We have webinars. We have a lot of different ways by which people can plug in, not just in their area of discipline, but really to be surrounding around the most topical, most interesting issues relative to healthcare right now. I had the opportunity to actually uh, be a part of something called Everybody's In, um, a, a campaign we have, which is on the very, very relevant topic of, uh, of diversity, inclusion, and equity in healthcare, and had the opportunity to, to watch a documentary called Coding Bias that then had an entire discussion group around the potential of biases in AI. And so really cool stuff that we're doing as it relates to these webinars and grand rounds by which any employee can participate. We have self-directed learning. We have something called a quality academy where people can take classes and achieve different levels of badges. We've recently introduced something similar, which is our workforce academy. That's looking at our strategies, things like digital that we talked about before or international or platform businesses and gives people some self-directed ways by which they can start you know, learning their own kind of elements of healthcare to either be better positioned to take on new jobs or to even advance themselves in their current roles. And lastly, we, like other organizations, have some third-party tuition reimbursement type programs, but I'm also proud about our organization because we have reinvented that most recently, going strictly from just tuition reimbursement to something we're calling career um, investment program. And what that means is that we are identifying roles of the future that are really important and taking cohorts of folks, and as a cohort, having them go through kind of work study so that they will you know, learn as a community but also have an opportunity, actually not just an opportunity, but an expectation that they will take on these you know, new roles that are really critical kind of in the future upon graduation. So it really is a shared commitment of the person to pursue and, and to spend the time to invest. And it's Mayo's Clinic shared commitment to both pay and provide kind of career opportunities. And that's a program we're just launching and I'm super excited about it. So what, what, what kind of uh, skills have you identified uh, or what kind of cohorts are you thinking of uh, creating? You know, many of it is more of, I call it our frontline um, kind of really critical. So we have had, I'll use by example, we had a lot of folks that came in that were, um, you know, less skilled roles for door screening and visitor screening during COVID. They're amazing people with, you know, service hearts and the rest of it. But what do we do? So we're taking that group of people and saying, who is interested in actually becoming a phlebotomist, which is a certificate program, or who wants to be a patient care tech? Those are important jobs for us. They're always those that either people are promoting and going up. So we're actually creating those kind of roles to create those pathways. And the exciting part is we're not just looking at one pathway. We are looking for what happens after that and what happens after that. So those are, it's a good example of where I'd call it even more entry level than it would be something that's more advanced. That's very impressive. This episode is brought to you by Experfy. Incubated in Harvard Innovation Lab, Experfy provides custom future of work solutions, such as private talent clouds and skill taxonomies. Experfy differentiates itself by using subject matter experts to pre-vet and pipeline candidates for AI and high-end technology skills. However, Experfy Talent Cloud Platform is skill agnostic and can be licensed to build custom talent clouds for any and all skills. In a different use case, enterprises interested in employee intermobility can license the Expify platform to create an internal gigs marketplace where interested employees can be algorithmically matched to projects, gamifying their learning experience. Visit www.expify.com for more information. You've talked about uh, employee engagement, uh, and you also 
mentioned uh, elsewhere about employers becoming communities. Uh, could you tell us about your vision of how employers should behave uh, when it comes to acting like communities? So I think the funny thing about communities is in, um, if I was to look around me, I live in a community in Texas and it's because of my physical proximity to neighbors, et cetera. And, you know, while I'll say that when we bought this house in this particular neighborhood, we were kind of thinking, what's the school district? You know, what are these people are, et cetera. But we certainly didn't join because it was the five people that we wanted to spend a significant amount of time with, right? I didn't know what their values were and the rest of it. And oftentimes you get into these situations and you're in neighborhoods that are communities and you just get lucky or you don't get lucky, right? But when an employer, particularly that when you have the opportunity to interview folks and people are interviewing us, et cetera, you end up with getting people that really can be like-minded, that they have at least a Mayo Clinic. If you ask any Mayo Clinic employee, I will tell you, they will tell you that the primary mission of Mayo Clinic or the primary value of Mayo Clinic is the needs of the patient come first. I would further say that nearly everybody would be able to quote our rich ties values. And it's not because we have really great posters, we have that too, but it's because people see us put our values in action. So there's this group of you know nearly 70,000 people that share this value. Now, why wouldn't that community of people that share values that transcend not just your work, but your life, why wouldn't you kind of create kind of strong communities there? It certainly is better than just kind of moving into a neighborhood and guessing who your neighbors are gonna be, right? So we have that values that ground us. And so we are kind of going a little bit further than traditional. Mm -hmm. The easy way is work communities, right? You'll say, okay, well, everybody works here in HR. We've got a big group. We're all kind of, kind of similar. So we can have good team discussions, these kind of things where value is aligned and we trust each other. That's terrific. But we're moving into areas of affinity groups, which looks at things like who are all the people that love well-being? Who loves environmental sustainability? Who really is affiliated with emerging leaders? or that may be a part of a, an ethnic or, or a, a racial diversity kind of group that actually wants to find community, right? So we've created affinity groups that are, are opportunities for people to connect physically, virtually, et cetera, to be together. There's also then further, we're calling them connection groups. And these are people that may have an interest, for example, um, we have physician engagement groups, and they might talk about you know, administrative processes for about five minutes and then we pay for their dinner or lunch and then they create communities and there's a commitment that they will continue to kind of meet for a while to build their habit of being a part of an engagement group. We're finding those engagement groups actually reduce our burnout. We have group fitness and these kind of things that are also kind of connection groups virtually and physically. But our most recent thing I'm incredibly excited about is our social connections. And in a world particular in COVID where we are all very socially isolated, and it's possible that you may not go out of your house for weeks and weeks and weeks, knowing that you can get groceries and food and everything else delivered. We're finding that our group, our, our people were starting to find that isolation. And it was a real challenge for us because healthcare is typically a very relationship and people oriented business. So we started doing these social connection groups and they're things like cooking, or I hosted one on balloon animals. And it's not about the skill itself. What it is, it's the prop to be able to have a connection. So people come to this, they're strangers perhaps, but we have them set up in such a way that we break people into breakout groups. They talk about their interests. They talk about their thoughts. They talk about travel while they have a prop of cooking or, or decorating or other types of a book or whatnot. And what we're finding is because we've been able to transcend or at least view that our communities are like-minded people and on a voluntary people, on a voluntary basis, people are willing to come in their personal time to be a part of these communities it strengthens who we are. 
So yes, we are straddling this work and this uh, life dimension. And one may say, I have people that have told me, oh, keep work at work and home at home and do not mix the others. I'm a huge advocate of saying in today's world, an employer that actually believes that you can create separation, they're simply not thinking about it in a relevant and a contemporary way. It's all about how do you blend it with your values and your alignment to create communities that will strengthen your workforce. And almost more importantly, it strengthens humanity. Because why wouldn't you want to be with people that share your interests that are like-minded? It's just kind of way too short in terms of life to do things that are constantly kind of, you know, trying to move uphill, right? Many people uh, argue that mental health and well-being are key to future work. So tell us how um, we should think about uh, well-being. How do we put it at the center Mm -hmm. when we are thinking about uh, organizations? Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about how we're thinking about it. Um, so when I think about mental health, I think you could immediately move to the point of healthcare benefits. And you could think about it saying, okay, what's your network, your mental health network look like? What are your premiums? Who's in network? Who's out of network? You know, all these things. And you can get very much into the cost and the health benefits of mental health. Not sufficient, at least for Mayo Clinic. So we think about it as a broad continuum of kind of well-being plus. So we have mental health that's everywhere from medical mental health to, you know, truly, um, I call it employee assistance type kind of situations that are happening in the workplace that are distressing, that are stressful and resiliency kind of training that we put in to well-being as it relates to financial well-being, social well-being, physical well-being, even to the point of at our very highest level, we actually think about joy and we talk about how joy can be created you know, fulfillment, purpose, et cetera, in our organization. So we have this incredible continuum that we think about in terms of, you know, mental slash well-being, and it's that continuum. Now, the really interesting thing we know is that you can go from being excelling to unsettling in a day. I do that almost every day, in fact, and I'm sure many of you do as well. And so it really is trying to help our employees figure out what's the right way to navigate. At what point do you really have a situation that is more clinically oriented? versus what that which might be more employee assistance versus that is just, I need someone to talk to on a connection group because I'm just having a bad day. So what we are working on is trying to make it as easy as we can for our employees to actually navigate the variety of services we have, that's one. But two, to also remove any stigma that it may have to someone saying, gosh, you know, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want someone to think that I don't, I'm not stable, et cetera. It, we've got to remove that stigmatism. We've got to be able to create an ease to access let people self-schedule. We need to have open ways by people can get the services that they need. And we have to be able to have active conversation because this is not something that is something you should be fearful and not say, this should be something that's no different than anything else saying, we have a community of people, as I said earlier, that are values aligned, we all wanna help. And how do we actually give people the comfort that we're there? So again, I, I, I don't view it quite as kind of narrow as some, but it is a huge emerging issue it is um, important to get your arms around. And what I really want us to do is to do it before something bad happens that forces you to do it. You know, there are, have been bad things that happen in a large workforce, whether it's suicides or it's, you know, workplace violence, et cetera. The compassion of our people to actually, not just if that was to ever happen, to know what to do, but also to try to prevent that or at least try early warning signs of that is an important part of this as well. So just don't wait till something bad happens. Education is increasingly important as we, as we think of uh, 
future work and also education as we see evolving uh, given things are moving remote and uh, but you you mentioned something very interesting which is the initiative as an employer you're taking to do career pathing mm-hmm. how do you, how do you think about um, the assessing what an employee is good at and then uh, you know helping them create that pathway uh, rather than just saying okay this is what i need let me find a bunch of people to to, yeah. to do that so i have a probably more of a futuristic view and I, I can't tell you that mail clinic is doing this right now but we are thinking about it and trying to figure out how to get there which is it's much more like a marketplace that if i was to say here are all the jobs that i have or pieces of work and make it open for people and it's not just a role, a permanent full-time role, but it could be jobs, et cetera, and allow people to express their interest to say, I have passionate interest in doing this, and here's why I have passionate interest, and I have some level of prerequisite skills to get me. I'm usually going to be, I will triple down on passionate interest with the idea that many things and skills you can actually build or can surround people to actually kind of help shore up. So one of the things that we have done is we call it agile staffing, where we've identified pieces of work. And we've said, here's a project to do this. We're looking for someone who can do some project management, this like this, it's part-time, you know, if you want to kind of bid on this project. And we've had some really good success on a pilot basis of getting people to gravitate to things that they've self-assessed that they can actually be successful at. Now, what we haven't done yet was saying, and formalize that to say, okay, now how are we going to give you performance feedback and give conversations around this kind of discretionary work? We've talked about it, but not yet executed to it. But my mind is a little bit less around us assessing. It's more about self-assessment. It's about people joining teams to see where they're successful. And if you get to kind of a really future world, it could be where you get feedback, not from your supervisor, but feedback from your clients and your team members to kind of figure out where you're good at. And you take that feedback and knowing your own strength, you're able to apply it to work that you actually think you'll do well at that you like. I mean, it's pretty futuristic to say it really is consumer driven and choices versus employer and supervisor. And that might not work for all work, but I think that there is some element of that that we will start seeing people kind of freedom of actually going to things that they gravitate to and whether it's number of likes or whatnot, be better assured that they are good or not at. So that's where I'd love to see it. Cause again, what's not to like about people taking control of their own kind of future, their own livelihood, their own paycheck, et cetera, versus the employer actually doing it for them. COVID-19 has elevated um, the role of the CHRO. Uh, you, you've been presented with new challenges. Uh, so h- how is uh, y- your role e- uh, evolving? Or how, how has it evolved? What are the challenges you, you, you faced or you were confronted with? Maybe you can talk about that. Yeah. Well, I think that Mail was really well positioned because I think our human capital has never been just around HR. So Mail Clinic is, I provide this advice to others. We have this amazing committee called the People and Culture Committee. The People and Culture Committee, it's 17 people. Now in most organizations, you'd look and say, oh, it's a bunch of HR people that get together once a quarter and do something, right? This committee has 15 people that are not HR people. They are physicians, they are people in our practice, in our research, education, and other functional areas. And we assemble once a month for two hours and sometimes longer than that for retreats to think about the people and culture elements of Mayo Clinic. 
And the reason why I think that's really important to distinguish is during COVID-19, it wasn't HR kind of pivoting to the things of policy and temp labor and cost containment, which are all the sometimes the not so fun things and you just kind of pivot to. Our conversation was around, how do we keep people well? How do we keep them engaged? How do we keep them not burning out? If there was ever, ever a situation where one of our employees died of COVID, how we were gonna kind of help in terms of creating the right bereavement plan and the right safety plan. So we did a lot and continue to do a lot of work on the area of well-being because it is the it is the the element of the workforce that we as male clinic need. Now, do we have different pay practices for you know different shifts, or did we have to kind of do COVID testing in different ways and put policies around short-term disability and all this stuff? Absolutely, we need to do that. And again, I would say that even though HR did that work, and I'm really proud of the team to do it, in part it was done because the organization has given our ability to be agile enough to pivot where we need to. And even in healthcare, that sometimes it's a little bit slower to act in Mayo Clinic that is always cautious on doing things too quickly. We were able to pivot on those business issues quite quickly because the organization didn't just give us permission, but it really asked us to do it and actually motivated those capabilities. On the topic of uh, building workplace culture and behavior, you've mm -hmm. spoken about new age professionalism, which you've defined as, uh, and I quote, a clear and congruent set of professional expectations in an increasingly volatile and rapidly changing environment. Mm -hmm. Can you explain uh, what this approach is and why you think it's important? Sure. So we at Mayo Clinic, again, are really fortunate that we have many people that have been here for years. In fact, Mayo Clinic is a place where you could start when you are in your teens and work here for 60 years. And we have a few people that have hit those really, really long milestone journey. And we love that because it's those value congruence people. But if you think about it, even just 10 years ago, or I'd say maybe it's 13 years now, there wasn't even an iPhone, right? This whole thing of social media, what's right, what's wrong, the world's changed a lot. And many of our people have worked here for a long time and have not really you know, seen those kind of evolutions. And so let me give you a very tangible kind of thing. In healthcare, um, access to medical records and HIPAA is just, it's a, a really important thing we get right. We don't want anyone to get access or to see medical information that's not, that personal medical information that they shouldn't see it, right? Um, a person receives some beautiful flowers for their birthday. They have a beautiful bouquet that's in front of their computer. They take a picture of their flowers. They put it on Facebook and said, look at what my husband provided. I'm so happy it's my birthday. Now, in the background, computer screen, HIPAA information on the back, right? Now, did our person plan to do that? Did they want to share with the world, with all of their followers, kind of confidential information on the back screen? Absolutely not. So the new age professional says, you may not have intended to, but you still have an accountability. In this end, you still have a patient whose information, who didn't want it out there, is now been seen by somebody, right? And to me, that's a steal around, how do you actually educate people to these new realities? You can't just be in a coffee shop now and just have a conversation around, I didn't really like that policy they did. I don't think it was really, you know, I even wonder if it's legal or something, you know, that kind of fun conversation. Now it can be recorded and actually posted places, et cetera, right? And taken out of context. And what we found is our people are so values aligned and they are relatively trusting that these new realities of social media, of things moving fast with perhaps nefarious organizations that are less committed to our passion and interests that we are, sometimes can take things out of context. So part of this is how do you educate without creating chaos and without causing people to be incredibly suspicious? How do you actually 
create paths by which people will do the right thing within our community. And so we've spent a lot of time training and learning, having transparent, transparent conversations. And moreover, we've had to take corrective action when through all of that and people have gone through appropriate training and things and it doesn't work. This transcends not just social media policies and things like, you know, uh, people doing off duty things, off duty conduct that we don't think is becoming the values and organization. It's sexual harassment and other elements. Things again, that either may have been black and white in the past, or maybe they were very gray, but now they're actually very relevant. So Mayo Clinic, like most things, we're very transparent. We take things very seriously. We have open conversation and we have compassionate heart, but we also don't have a tolerance where there is actually some um, tripping up that really should not have been tripped up. So that's kind of what I, I talk about new age professionalism, because it's not training to where we were 20 years ago, it's training to where we're going. Let's come back to uh, workforce. Uh, you, you, you've discussed um, uh, healthcare and uh, you know the how the clinical aspects are often emphasized when people think about careers. If you were to look at from a more from a macro perspective, uh, the trends. What kind of trends are you seeing uh, emerging uh, mm -hmm. from a workforce perspective? Well, I mean, the trend you're seeing, at least in healthcare, it it will follow. I call it. Um, an employer's choice. So, so you are getting a lot more kind of entrance into people or organizations that want to help people's health. It could be Amazon. It could be Google. It could be coming from our, you know, our insurance organizations. It could come from the healthcare services. So you are getting a lot of invention that is in the end uh, trying to figure out how to help people. Now, here's what we also, you a lot of different brilliant ideas, things that we haven't thought about that are shifting our paradigms about how care is given. How do you work through, um, you know, preventive care? How do you early indicate that someone's going to have the likely of having a heart attack without having any other signs except for certain algorithms, et cetera, right? So you've got, first of all, that. At the same time, you've got the kind of the desire for the consumer to do a lot more things at home. They want to do it at home. They don't want to be inconvenienced. We have, in some regards, commoditized certain elements of healthcare. So I bring those two things together to say, first of all, I think the trend of healthcare is you've got, you're going to get a very much of a baseline. It's going to be commoditized. It'll be things that you get as a matter of routine. It's things are going to be super convenient. You're going to go to Costco, get your kit. You're going to go to Walgreens and actually get your test, whatever it is, or you're going to stay at home and something's going to happen to you. That's going to be there. There is going to be an emerging level of healthcare. And this is where Mayo Clinic's always going to be, which is at that pinnacle of things that are emerging subspecialty things that you'll just never diagnose without really very good problem solvers have seen it many times, be able to get that diagnosis that you otherwise wouldn't get. It's going to come not only because human touch and actually experience, but it's come through platform and data and all those things will come together. So it's going to be quite bifurcated. The true kind of high level data scientists, you know, physicians, researchers, clinicians, business people that are thinking about this in a very different way. And then I'd say the rest is more about an operational excellence element of, of, um, of the delivery of healthcare kind of day in and day out. People will live longer. People will actually get better care. They'll have better lives. And I think it's playing within those kind of two parts. You got to figure out where you are. You've got to excel at that. That will mean huge things for the workforce because you're, it may not be as much as the mid-level providers, but rather at the top of the game or more in a more of a commodity-ish type kind of delivery. So just continuing on that theme, um, when we think of healthcare, uh, you know, one of the largest sector in terms of GDP, 
in this country uh, and, and uh, you know, but, but slow to innovate. So as a former McKinsey consultant, yeah. you know, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think about uh, innovation? How do you, uh, you know, think about the, uh, you know, what's holding us back when it comes to innovation? Oh, well, okay. So the easy answer there, it's people's lives right? You can play with a new version of Snickers, right? And probably not hurt somebody. Um, so consumer retail, these kind of things, they are not safety businesses. Um, healthcare is one where you can't make mistakes. Now, where I think the innovation comes, it's not making mistakes on people's lives, but there is a heck of a lot we can do around the business and delivery of healthcare. Such significant portions of our costs are related not to delivery of care, it's administration's bureaucracy. And I think really thinking about reinventing healthcare isn't around creating more potential risks for the delivery of care. It's getting everything else out of the way. And over the years, we have established more and more, whether it's, um, it's uh, levels of you know, people that play in the value chain, um, if it is the bureaucracy of the payment model, if it's the challenges and tribulations around, have, there, have you looked at an, uh, an explanation of benefits lately? Why does it take you 20 pages of fine text to get your, your teeth cleaned, right? And that's an exaggeration, of course, but we have created so much that is so complicated. I do think that this is a very much of a, a reimagination of the innovation coming from the partially the business and the bureaucracy of healthcare. Get that out of the way. Let the cl clinicians continue to do you know, the work of miracles of solving people's health issues. They will go faster. People will be happier and actually costs will go down. Um, we don't save lives because we send out good bills. We save lives because we put our time and attention to looking at humans, understand what makes them different and distinct and actually solving their, their, their issues, right? So that, that's kind of my view. And I do think that there is this kind of preventive view, again, partially because of the bureaucracy of how we, we do things. Well care isn't something that everybody in an equitable way take care of. Well care is super important. If you can actually get good well care, you know, your ability then to not have to deal with the sick care is absolutely there. And so it is this kind of shift upstream to say, can we create more well care interventions, et cetera, again, funded in part through the simplification of all this administration that we put to this sector because we've been fearful about hurting people. The pandemic obviously has had a significant impact on uh, the, the, the system, the healthcare system. How do you, how do you see the system being transformed uh, in, in the aftermath of the pandemic? Yeah. What, what things are gonna uh, you know, change from your perspective? Yeah, so um, I, first of all, totally on the record, the pandemic's horrible. Like I'd never want this. I didn't think this would happen in my lifetime, et cetera, to see the the harm and destructions had to families and individuals. The silver lining around COVID is it forced at least in healthcare and where I see it for us to take, to be a little bit more agile, to accelerate some of the work around discovery, to use data more intensely. Um, I look at telehealth it, you know, in many organizations, including Mayo Clinic, you could take the amount of telehealth we did in 2019 and you can multiply it by hundreds for what we did in 2020. It never would have happened had we not been forced to do that. But when I think about the benefits of increased telehealth in the future, it's huge. It saves costs, it saves lives as we help people in a better place of, of, of um, care. 
instead of going to a hospital, which you should never want to go there because it's actually where sick people are. You want to stay away from those places, right? If you can. And you also, you know, are going to get it in the comfort of your home with loved ones, et cetera, that you can help you. That wouldn't have accelerated as much. One of the things that we have to do is capture those, capture those, those habits. We cannot rubber band ourselves back to where we were. We have to continue to help tell health. We have to continue looking at remote work as a, as a core element of how we work. We have to take all the agile ways that we were able to pivot to help lots of people in different ways, to set up booths, to set up childcare, all this stuff, and not just say, okay, it's done, but rather how do we take that learning of agility and helping our people and actually deploy it in a proactive way to help our people versus simply saying we're really good at actually responding to crises. So can we create crisis leadership, crisis actions, the agility that has to just the common everyday kind of element of, of healthcare? And I think we can do it. And I know Mayo Clinic, we have an entire initiative called Bold Forward at Work that we're taking on right now and looking at how do we instill permanency and habit forming in some of these behaviors that we had to apply during COVID. Uh, Kathy, any, any parting words for our audience? No, but I think this is going to be a fun, you know, next five years. I think that there's a huge amount of opportunity for people to be their best. And I would just say, you know, um, have fun. Part of this is about being human. Make sure that we all take this a little bit, you know, with a view of we can work, we can be with people we really like, we can have fun. And, you know, that's what this is about. And the more we can keep all that stuff in balance, you know, the better we are. I will say you know, my book, and you see my backdrop here, a little less conventional than the traditional beautiful bookshelves. This is a part of having fun. You know, it's having a red phone on a cake plan. It's having a lava lamp. And it's having a book that I actually stare at a lot and fill out, which is do one thing every day that makes you happy. This stuff's important because again, if you can't reflect your personality, if you can't be yourself at work, you can't have fun. I really question, is it worth it? So um, I hope I've been able to share some things that are interesting. Well, yeah, it's been a real pleasure, Kathy. Thank you so much for your time. Great, thank you.